special thanks uh, to uh, Christian and uh, Sterling for uh, leading us in worship and uh, kind of kicking the old school for us this morning because in the, in the depth of those lyrics, of those hymns that are tried and true in the faith, we find ourselves being prepared for what I think Jesus wants to, us to hear this morning. So uh, a special thanks uh, for your leadership there as we prepare uh, to continue on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been calling this the King's Speech, and this morning we'll be reaching the end of chapter 6. So as you are aware, the Sermon on the Mount is from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So we're making our way slowly through, and uh, this morning we'll be reaching the end of chapter 6. So you can kind of uh, plan your holidays accordingly, I guess that's what I'm saying. So uh, we're, we're having an opportunity to listen to some very challenging words this morning. But I would encourage you to stand with me as we hear from Jesus speak these words to the crowds there in, in ancient Palestine and to us today. So that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to the end of the chapter. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I say, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own Let's pray. Right. 
Lord, uh, we come to you this morning thanking you for your overwhelming generosity to us. We have way more than we could ever need. And so we pray you will forgive us when we feel entitled to this extravagance and get upset when we don't accumulate it the way we want. Grant us a spirit of, of simple trust. Trust in you and your provision for us. And keep us from our own selfishness. Deliver us from evil. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our healer. Well, you, uh, you heard that scripture reading just a few moments ago, talking about our possessions and the need that, that we normally have of being anxious over all of those, and how Jesus takes us to task for our trust in riches. And maybe you are wondering what's going to be coming next. Maybe some of you are nervously kind of holding on to your wallets and, and clutching your purses, thinking that maybe before the service is over, we're going to have you bring all of your credit cards over here and burn them in a bonfire. But Amen. I'm sure you that will not happen. So I just make a mess of the carpet, and it's environmentally unfriendly. So we, we won't be doing anything like that, but I do think we need to give Jesus full voice here. In the warning that he offers to us about how connected and, and how dedicated we tend to be to stuff, our stuff, possessions, things that are here today and may not be here tomorrow. And so Jesus wants us to be aware of how fleeting these possessions can be, the aspects of life that we seem to spend so much time thinking about. Now, the funny thing is, by the time we're done this text, we realize that, that Jesus isn't so much against stuff, or even our stuff. It's our attitude toward our stuff. And whether we are able to, in complete trust of God, allow our lives to be led by Him, and allow Him to provide, or whether we're just kind of in a tight-fisted, white-knuckled way, hanging on to all those things that we think are important, but in the end are not. Because in the end, let's face it, it's all stuff. I, uh, I ordered a pair of sunglasses online a little while ago because I wanted a pair of sunglasses that I could keep in my truck. And so just this week, I received an email from the, from the provider thanking me for my order, telling me that my sunglasses would be here soon, and giving me lengthy instructions as to how I'm supposed to care for these sunglasses. And a lot of those instructions make perfect sense to me because they gave me instructions as to how I was supposed to clean these glasses, what I was supposed to use as I, as I clean them and what I wasn't supposed to use. Apparently, if you have a stain in your sunglasses, you're not supposed to use a nail. <laughs> I get it. That, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. But there were parts of the instructions that didn't make sense to me. Because instruction number two said, these sunglasses should not be 
in sustained periods of sunlight. <laughs> Sunglasses. Instruction number three. It is inadvisable that you wear these glasses while driving in traffic. I bought these sunglasses to drive in my truck. And so basically, according to that, what they're saying is these sunglasses are good when it's dark out and there's no traffic. Hard to satisfy for a pair of sunglasses, but that's stuff, right? The very moment you put your faith in stuff, it will let you down. And so this is what Jesus is trying to tell us in this rather lengthy portion of his Sermon on the Mount. A lot of stuff here would be very easy for us to get quite confused and lost, so let me try to break it down for you a little bit. If you can understand two words, you can probably follow what Jesus is trying to say here. And these two words are pretty simple. First one is if, and the second one is then. So the first part of this text, from verses 19 to 24, that's the if part. If we get these three things that Jesus says, then we're able to look towards the second part of the text, which is the then portion. And there's three of those as well. So if we get those first three things right, then we're able to get the second three things right. It follows in a particular order. There is logic, there is rationale behind all of that. And in each one of these three instances of the if, we find that Jesus is supplying us with a choice. And so, if you're ready for this, we'll, we'll start with the if parts. Each of these three requires us to make a choice. And Jesus starts by saying, if our focus is on the ultimate rather than on the immediate. Now, he doesn't exactly say it that way. Here's how he says it. Therefore, I tell you, do not, oops, verse 19, sorry. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first choice we have to make, and if we make this choice in the right way, we're on the right road. But that choice that we need to make, that first one, is between heaven and earth. What will be our focus? Will we focus on the things of, of ultimate worth, those things that are eternal, kept for us in the heavens? Or will our lives be focused on those things around us in the earth? Now, we, we know, from the neck up at least, that we should be more focused on heavenly things than on earthly things. That's kind of a no-brainer. It's kind of Sunday School 101, right? You, you can shake your heads. Like, yeah. 
It, it is. It's simple. But the problem is some of the things that we know from the neck up, sometimes our head has trouble explaining these things to, to our heart and our hands. So we may know something, but in terms of actually practicing it, well, that's, that's another matter. Because we, we look around and, and we know that we should be trusting God, we know that our focus should be on Him, but we're surrounded by all this stuff, this nice, attractive, shiny stuff. And it's all whispering our names. And it looks so good. And we just need to have it because our old edition of that same stuff is already two weeks old and we're ready for the next edition. And that becomes just kind of this endless cycle of more and more attention paid to those things in the earth that are temporary at best, rather than focusing our attention on those things that do not and will not change. Those are the things that are stored in heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't have to use these terms because back in those days, they didn't understand what it meant. But what Jesus is taking aim here is at two things. Immediate gratification and planned obsolescence. Those are things that are part and parcel of our lives. Immediate gratification. We need to have that certain thing and we need to have it now. Because we don't want to wait 10 minutes or 10 days. It has to be immediate, right now. We live in an immediate world where we're looking for things and we want them yesterday. And in light of obsolescence, the things of Earth are not planned to last forever. Some of them are actually, the majority are actually designed to last probably just a little bit beyond the warranty. And then, they're gone. So that's what Jesus is saying. That first gift is a choice between the ultimate, which is the eternal and the heavenly, and the immediate. Jesus is calling us to put our focus on what lasts, our treasure in heaven. Now, let's, let's get real super practical here. So, following the service, there will be a display, and there is a display up there from Joe's place. And they're wondering if we might be able to sponsor some Joe's Place kids to go to camp this summer. Now, if you decide to sponsor some kids to camp, it will cost you money. You could take that money and you could buy yourselves a new pair of shoes, or some nice new clothes, or maybe a new smartphone. Or maybe you could go to Starbucks twice. <laughs> or you could sponsor a child to go to camp where they will hear the gospel that might make an eternal difference in their lives and in the lives of the families from which they are a part. See what Jesus is saying? It's immensely practical. Where is our focus? On the ultimate or on the immediate? And that's the first if. And the problem here, as Jesus points out, is that our hearts tend to follow our treasure. 
What, what does he say? Where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. You kind of figure it should be the other way around, but it's not. And if our hearts follow these things that are purely temporary, what does it say about our hearts? Really? So that first choice is between the ultimate and the immediate. And that leads us to the second if, our second choice. And that is, if our perspective is always generous rather than always envious. Jesus puts it this way. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, you, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Back in Jesus' day, they thought the eyes were more than just the windows to the soul. In, in Jesus' day, they, they believed that actually the, the, the eyes were sources of light. And so we have a choice here, again, between two different kinds of eyes. We could choose between the healthy eye, literally the single eye, you know, I mean a cyclops. I mean a, a perspective that is completely focused on those things that are godly, on the things of, of generous life, okay? And so there's a choice between the, the, the healthy single eye or the bad or the evil eye. And the evil eye is the kind of perspective that's cheap and envious and all wizened up and focused on itself. So the person with an evil eye is, is never satisfied. They're always looking for, for something more. They're cheap with their money. They are uh, not generous when they see people in particular need. They're always envious when someone else is rewarded. There is a sense where, where their soul has dried up within them. And I guess what Jesus is saying is, is if you are stingy towards other people, Chances are, that's a reflection of how you relate to God. So he's talking about a perspective that, that is open and, and helpful and, and generous. So if we have a healthy or a single eye, that means that when we see people who are in need, we move to meet that need. And when people around us are, are rewarded and are successful, we congratulate them. Them. We, we rejoice with them. Instead of always thinking what's in it for us. So the question comes, well, how, do you, how do you test your eyes? How, how do you know whether you've got a healthy eye or an evil eye? Well, here, here's a potential eye test. So, something bad happens to someone else. Is your first thought Wow, that could be me. Chances are, you have an evil eye. Or if you see someone who is rewarded and blessed and successful, is your first thought that should have been me. See? Every reaction 
So the evil eye is self-centered. Like, that couldn't be, or that shouldn't have been me. The focus is always on ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is that you need to make a choice to live generously with open hands, with a desire to be compassionate with those who need help, an ability to rejoice with those who, who are successful and have received the blessing of God. And so now we're ready for the third. And that is, if we're serving or ready to serve the Lord, rather than loonies. If, you know, I have to alliterate. So loonies, I don't mean like a weird boss at work. I mean money. So that we're going to serve the Lord rather than money. This is how Jesus says it. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let's kind of unpack where we've been so far. So the first if is about our priorities. Okay? About the ultimate rather than the immediate. The second if is about our perspective. Whether it is a healthy eye or an evil eye. Now the third it has to do with power. Who has power in our lives? Who is it that calls the shots? Is it God or is it money? And Jesus says it can't be both at the same time. It's either or. Do we serve the Lord or do we serve money? Now let's kind of make this practical again. We've already been talking about camp, so let's imagine this scenario. You would like to work at Bible camp this summer, but someone who remains unnameless has gained the funding for summer students in Bible camps. And so if you decide to go work at camp, that means you're going to take a bit of a wash in terms of your financial support. So, you're very tempted then to go get a job somewhere else, anywhere else, because you'll make more money there than if you were at camp where you think God wants you to be, but it's just not paying well enough. What do you do? What do you choose? Who has the power? Are you serving God, or are you serving money? Now, the weirdest thing happened to me this week. I was in the midst of writing this sermon, and I get this Facebook message, message from Sue Wallace. And he says that, that there's this Lions group that is giving away tens of thousands of dollars to people who are advanced in years. All they have to do is apply, and they will bring this money right to your doorstep. You should apply. I'm writing a sermon on trying to figure out whether we're supposed to serve God or money. And all of a sudden, this, this message pops up. And so... I'm in the midst of this mental tug of war. Like, this is Stu. I trust Stu. He wouldn't try to lead me down a wrong path. 
And so the message came back saying, well, all you need to do is, is tell me your, uh, tell us your full name and, and your address and your birth date. And as this is kind of rolling down the screen, I'm wondering, hmm, that sounds a little fishy, doesn't it? But it's Stu. I trust you. He wouldn't take me down the wrong path. And then I started realizing as, as more and more of the requests came, I said, who in their right mind is going to give me $90,000 for simply applying? And when they started asking some more things that were a little more personal, like financial information and a $2,000 registration fee, Right while I was writing this sermon, I'm trying to either obey the Lord or money. So it was nice to know that before I realized that, that this was a scam, I, I really talked myself out of it, saying, well, like, really, I really don't need an extra $90,000. This just seems so weird. So I don't know. I'm, I'm out. But... The timing of this was just so strange. Why, why would God do this to me while, while I am writing this sermon? And so when it finally dawned on me, I realized, okay, so I'm not greedy. I'm not that bright, but at least I'm not greedy. And it was a very, very pointed visual aid to me as the importance of who we serve. And... And we're all faced with, with similar things all the time. You know, I was, in the midst of this, I was struggling. So, I mean, what, what do I do? I mean, this is, this is stupid. So, either, either one of our elders is running a scam, and he needs to be arrested, or someone has hacked his account and is trying to work some kind of scam on me. But the whole idea, the promise of, of easy money, of allowing us to kind of fall on our lap, will get us to do really stupid things. And so Jesus says you have to pick a boss. Even Bob Dylan says you you got to serve somebody. He said, you know, we're evil and all that. But that, he said it. Everybody has to serve somebody. And we need to make a choice. Who is it who has the power? So, there we have the three ifs. Now, if you look at these three ifs, focusing on the ultimate, a perspective that is healthy and generous, and serving the Lord, what that is describing is the life of a follower of Jesus. Jesus is describing for us the capacities that he wants us to show as we follow him. This eternal focus, this generous perspective, this desire to serve the Lord, that is what Jesus wants in a follower. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He's trying to explain to us what we're supposed to act like if we're following Him. And so with those three ifs, we get it. And if we get the three ifs, ifs then the three thens kind of makes sense. Because maybe you've looked at that, that part, portion from verses 25 and onward where it talks about, about not being anxious, and, and you're kind of wondering, well, how can I possibly do that? Because we're an anxious people. 
We're grasping onto our stuff with, with tight fists and white knuckles. So where does that come from? Well, Jesus says, if you get the first three ifs right, then these three thens should fall in place. So we start with verse 25. There are three thens, even though they are th there are three ifs. And each of these thens contains a command. And each of the thens begins with the same word. Therefore. So, let's start with verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. He goes on to talk about the lilies of the field. What he's suggesting to us, then, is... Then, we will know God values us more than stuff. So Jesus commands us not to be anxious about what we eat or drink or wear. Because God values us more than He values all this stuff. We are of infinite value to Him. And He uses this whole process of starting with something small and then drawing a contrast with something greater. Do you catch that? So when it says, it talks about those of you that are, that are uh, worried about getting enough to eat. So if you're always worried about where you're going to have your next meal, well, look at the birds. Look at them. There they are on the, on the hillside there on the mountain, and Jesus uses what's around as a visual aid. He said, look at these birds. And to paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, the reason that birds can fly is they take themselves so lightly. Right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Look at these birds. They're not doing anything. They're just flying around. And God feeds them. So you start with something simple and small like a bird. And then you compare yourselves to a bird, and then if God takes care of the birds, won't, won't He take care of, of you? That's the point. So if God is for the birds, you have to be kind of careful how you use that. If God is for the birds, He is for us. He is really for us. Now what about you who are worried about what you're going to wear? So Jesus says, well, hey, Look, look at these flowers. And look at this grass. Look at how beautiful they are. And flowers and grass, they don't last very long. But they're so beautiful, they make royal robes look like delight rags. And so if, if God so clothes the grass of the field, won't, won't he take care of you? Won't he give you something to wear? So if, if God does care for the grass when it goes up in smoke, and again, in Canada these days, when you talk about grass going up in smoke, you've got to be kind of careful. You have to explain yourself if you know what I mean. So when, when this grass goes up in smoke, and God still cares for it, even though it's thrown in the oven, will he not clothe us? That's what he's saying. So we need to be aware of the fact 
that in God's sake we are, we are valuable. He loves us. We are extreme and all the value to Him. So now we're ready for the second then. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. His second then is that then we will live like God's children. If we are preoccupied with what we eat and drink and wear, we are no different from those people who don't even know God exists or don't even care. That's why Jesus contrasts our attitude with that of the Gentiles or the pagans. Pagans are the ones that are supposed to worry about this sort of stuff. Not those of us who are children of the Heavenly Father. So by our undue concern for our possessions and those very things that are daily necessities, if we're so upset and concerned about those, there is no difference from that kind of attitude than the attitude of, of our pagan neighbors who, who curse the name of Jesus. Jesus is saying if, if you trust Him to, to supply these, these basic necessities of life, then, then you show that you are trusting your Father, and your Father knows you need this stuff. He's not trying to hold out on you. He's not trying to make you squirm. He loves us. We're kids. And He wants to, to provide for us. And so He wants us to trust Him for these basic necessities and if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, these things, all these things, will be given to us. Now, I'm guessing that in, a, in some of your fertile minds, there is this question. Okay, so God here seems to be promising that if we trust Him, we will never be hungry and we will never be naked. What about those people who are God-fearing Christ followers who are either hungry or naked? My, my first response is, okay, name one. It's not very helpful. But most of us kind of argue in the abstract, saying, oh, well, there are people that, that we have heard of that, that are followers of Jesus that are, that are naked and hungry. And you may not know, but that doesn't really help. But maybe it would help us to, to take what we're saying and maybe dial it down a little bit. Now, what's going on here? Is, is God untrue? Is Jesus spinning us a line? If he tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then these things will be provided? What Jesus is doing here is drawing a contrast between the pagan and the believer. The pagan is the one who is seeking first all these earthly things. Jesus says, followers of me need to be seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. So it's a contrast. 
And notice, this is not a promise. This is a command. So we may be spending undue amount of time on the wrong end of this, because what Jesus is trying to tell us is that it is important for us to seek first the kingdom. Now, there are occasions where we still hear of, of faithful followers who are naked and hungry. Is that a failing of God's provision? Or is that simply just the systematized uh, inhumanity and injustice of our systems that have taken God's plenty and have refused to distribute it the way that God has called them to? Even though this is a command and not technically a promise, Jesus is good for it. And what he's calling us to do here is, is to trust God, to seek his kingdom first before clamoring after all these things. And if we trust the Lord, we can trust God to care for us. Because we're putting our lives in the hands of our Heavenly Father. So that leads us to the last then. And this is found in the very last verse of, of chapter 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So he's saying then we will be able to take one day at a time. Part of the reason why we get so anxious Part of the reason why our insides get tied up in knots is, is that we get ahead of ourselves. We start worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. And then we mortgage our today because of fears for tomorrow. One preacher by the name of Warren Wiersbe says that, that all of us struggle against two thieves. All of us are hung between two thieves for the entirety of our lives. The first thief is our regrets for yesterday. The second thief is our anxiety for tomorrow. What Jesus is calling us to is to trust God in the day. Give us this day our daily bread. So if, if we are focusing on the ultimate, and our perspective is generous and focused, and we're serving the Lord, then we're able to live in the moment and trust God in the moment without being unduly anxious about what's coming down the pike. Because if we trust God, we place all of that in His hands. So what does all this mean? If we translate the whole thing, there's, there's a pile of stuff here. So, there are three ifs and three thens. So, if our focus is on the ultimate, and if our perspective is totally generous, and if we serve the Lord, then we will know that God loves us more than stuff. Then we will know that we can live like God's children, and then we will take one day at a time. That's an awful lot to remember. So let me cut to the chase. Those 
students of classic architecture. Like I'm guessing probably nobody. Uh, know that the classical architects operated out of a model. And their model was simply this. Function follows form. Function follows form. So the classic architects would say that the form of the building was most important. So you've established the form of the building, and then there's only certain things you can do in that kind of building. See what I mean? Now the modern, modern architects actually turned it on its head, and that's why all the modern buildings are so stupid. But in the classical architects would say, right, the form of the building is what's important, right? And then the function that you do within that building is dictated by, by the form of the building itself. So if you take the classical architectural model, that means when you build a family room, your boys aren't supposed to be playing hockey in there. Which we have tried for years to explain to them, and they don't get. See, that's that's what. So all that to say is that what Jesus is saying is very similar to this. And that is, function follows focus. What is primary is our focus. What is primary are those three ifs. And if we get the focus correct, then what follows is how we do life. You see, the function is able to follow that focus. And if we focus on Jesus, if we focus on our Heavenly Father, and He is empowering us to, to live the kind of life He's calling us to, then doing these things, not being anxious about our possessions and our stuff, but trusting Him in the day for His provision, that just kind of tends to fall into place. That's all Jesus is trying to say. As He speaks to them in that day and He speaks to us in ours. If our focus, if our trust is in God, that will show in how we do life. That will show in how we function. Especially how we function in relation to all our stuff. Maybe the hymn writer said it better than, than this. And he said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's stand and respond to the next today.